0: The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: Good afternoon. This is Judy Wilkinson, and I'm president of the Library Users of America. This particular event is co-hosted by BRL, uh, and Paul Edwards will be joining us momentarily, we hope. And welcome to everybody in Zoom land and in A-Lady land, because we know a lot of you are listening on one of the ACB media channels, and thank you so much. We're here today with uh, the narrator who spoke at the session this morning, and wasn't that a good presentation this morning? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Alice O'Reilly, who's the head of development collection, the collection development, should know better. When I said to her, how many books has Ray Fouché read? She said 400. And we now know way better than that because Mr. Fouché said this morning it was well over a 1,000. So one thing that he was too modest to mention... Uh, is that in 1995 he did win the Alexander Scorby Award for Nonfiction? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I'm sure you're from the American Foundation for the Blind. Um, yes. So um, let me just, uh, I'm going to give Mr. Fisher a chance to say hello so you hear his voice and know he's really in the room, and then we'll proceed
2: hello to everybody uh, everybody here in the room and everybody else who's listening out there I uh, hope I uh, hope you'll find the next hour or so edifying I uh, most people don't but <laughs> no I'm just talking about my wife actually she's the one <laughs> she's the one who has to listen to me all the time but uh, I'll give the mic back to Judy and then we'll get into it
1: well we're gonna start with a treat because when I met uh, Ray at the APH booth a little while ago and I said you know what people really would love to hear you read something and so ray went and found something online and is going to read to us for three or four minutes so we get a treat that you the general session didn't have so i'm going to turn it back to you come I call you ray yes okay ray
2: all right. First of all, uh, let me tell you a little bit about this. This as a matter of what I was able to find was very fortunate for me because it's one of my very favorite books that I've ever narrated. Um, it's uh, the book is called Sutton and it is uh, by J.R. Mooringer. And it's a fictionalized account of uh, a real life character who was Willie Sutton, a bank robber back in the 30s. Uh, and this is, a like I say a fictionalized tale of uh the days immediately following his release from prison and also the book itself flashes back to a lot of his time in prison and i love doing prison stories they're great but uh just to give you a little bit of a setting here uh willie and he's always referred to here as sutton uh has just been uh released from prison and he meets a friend of his who had been in prison with him uh donald uh outside the uh facility and they drive away and they start talking so that's that's where we are here uh let me ask you this uh there is a little bit of language in here uh do you read you read read. okay all right i don't care i i anybody who listens to my stuff knows that uh, i i've done a lot of this stuff i uh but i just wanted to make sure okay so you have been warned um okay so uh, willie and donald are together now sutton doesn't speak Donald lets him not speak. Donald knows. Donald walked out of Attica nine months ago. They both stare at the icy road and the frozen woods, and Sutton tries to sort his thoughts. After a few
3: miles, he asks if Donald was able to get that thing they discussed on the phone. Yes, Willie. Is she alive? Don't know, but I found her last known address. Donald hands over a white envelope.
2: Sutton holds it like a chalice. His mind starts to go
3: back to Brooklyn, back to Coney Island, back to 1919. Not yet, he tells himself, not yet. He shuts off his mind, something he's gotten good at over the years.
2: Too good, one prison shrink told him. He slides the envelope into the breast pocket of his new suit. 20 years since he's had a breast pocket. It was always his favorite pocket, the one where he kept the
3: good stuff. Engagement rings, enameled cigarette cases, leather billfolds from Abercrombie, guns. Donald asks who she is and why Sutton needs her address. I shouldn't tell you, Donald. We got no secrets between us, Willie. We've got nothing but secrets between us, Donald. Yeah, that's true, Willie. Sutton looks at Donald and remembers
2: why Donald was in the joint. A month after Donald lost his job on a fishing boat, two weeks after Donald's wife left him, a man in a bar said Donald looked beat. Donald, thinking the man was insulting him, threw a punch, and the man made the mistake of returning fire. Donald, a former college wrestler, put the man in a chokehold, broke his neck. Sutton turns on the radio. He looks for news,
3: can't find any. He leaves it on a music station. The music is moody, sprightly, different. What is this, Donald? The Beatles. So this is the Beatles. They say nothing for miles. They listen to Lennon. The lyrics remind Sutton of Ezra Pound.
2: He pats the shopping bag on his lap. Donald downshifts the GTO,
3: turns to Willie.
2: Does the name in the envelope have anything at all to do with you-know-who? Sutton looks at
3: Donald. Who? You know. Schuster? No, of course not. Jesus, Donald, what makes you ask that? I don't know, just a feeling. No, Donald, no. Sutton puts a hand in his breast pocket. thinks.
2: Well, he says, I guess maybe it does, in a roundabout way.
3: All roads eventually lead to Schuster, right, Donald? Donald nods, drives. You look good,
2: Willie boy. They say I'm dying. You'll never die. <laughs> yeah, right. You couldn't die if you wanted to.
3: Hmm. You have no idea how true that is. Donald lights two cigarettes, hands one to Sutton. How about a drink? Do you have time before your flight? What an
2: interesting idea. A ball of Jameson, as my dad used to say. <laughs> Donald pulls off the highway and parks outside a low-down roadhouse. Sprigs of holly and Christmas lights strung over the bar. Sutton hasn't seen Christmas lights since his beloved Dodgers were in Brooklyn. He hasn't seen any lights other than the prison's eye-scalding fluorescence and the bare 60-watt bulb in his
3: cell. Look, Donald, lights. You know you've been in hell when a string of colored bulbs over a crummy bar looks
2: more beautiful than Luna Park. Donald jerks his head toward the bartender. A young blonde girl wearing a tight paisley blouse and a miniskirt. Speaking of beautiful, Donald says. Sutton stares. They didn't have miniskirts when I went away, he says
3: quietly, Mm -hmm. respectfully. You've come back to a different world, Willie. Donald orders a Schlitz. Sutton asks for Jameson. The first sip is bliss. The second is a right cross.
2: (laughs) Sutton swallows the rest in one searing gulp and slaps the bar and asks for another. The TV above the bar is showing the news. Our top story tonight Willie, the actor Sutton, the most prolific bank robber in American history, has been released from Attica Correctional Facility in a surprise move by Governor Nelson Rockefeller. Sutton stares into the grain of the bar top, thinking, nelson rockefeller son of john d rockefeller jr grandson of
3: john d rockefeller senior close friend of not yet he tells himself he reaches into
2: his breast pocket touches the envelope we'll stop right now okay
3: (laughs) how's that (laughs) i'm
1: sorry oh thank you thank you so much and now I do want to give uh, Paul Edwards, uh, President of BRL, who's coming to the room and is co-hosting of this event, uh, a chance to
4: say hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for being here, uh, uh, Ray. We we truly appreciate your spending some more time with us, and. Um, I, I know. I know our folks have some interesting and sometimes off the wall questions. So I hope you'll put up with us. Oh, absolutely.
1: and you don't get the first one, Paul. You I may get the right. last one. Let's start with somebody in our Zoom room, Ms. Chanel.
5: All right, let's do that. We're up to seventy in here, by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Ray.
6: Um, uh, it, would you mind? Uh, first of all, I want to tell you I really appreciate what you we do for us. We need to know who you us. are, please. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <Would> everybody, by <laughs> the way, does speak I'm Debbie Watson himself. from Chicago. Okay. Thank you. My mm-hmm. name is Debbie Watson. I'm from Chicago. And I really do appreciate who you are and what you do for us. I really enjoy the books that you read. Thank you. Um, I'm reading one, in fact, right now called A Tap on the Window that you've done. But my question is, could you repeat your email address again, please? Sure.
2: Glad to. It's uh, rfouche, and that's spelled F-O-U-S-H-E-E, 41 at gmail.com.
6: Okay, so rfouche, F-O-U-S-H-E-E, 41 at gmail.com.
3: That's correct. Thank
6: you Very, very much. I really enjoy your reading a lot. Good afternoon, Ray. My name is Sheila Young from Florida. Um, I think I kind of got what your answer might be on this one this morning, but I'm not sure.
4: What's the favorite book you've ever read?
2: Um, That's a favorite question that people like to ask. And I I don't ever single out one, but uh, I have about five or six that, uh, Always rise to the top with me. Uh, One of them is the one I just read from, uh, which is uh, Sutton by J.R. Morinder. He also wrote a book that uh, got a lot more notice than Sutton did. Uh, It's called The Tender Bar. There has been a movie made of that recently. I know Uh, he's very good, Uh, but also uh, other books that just really blew me away. uh, One is uh, it's titled Boy's Life, and it's by uh, Robert McCammon. Uh, that last name? McCammon, M-C-C-A-M-M-O-N. And it's uh, it's kind of Stephen King-ish, but uh, also not uh, just sort of an atmosphere and in uh, sort of his rural nostalgic descriptions of uh, a youth in 1960s. But it's it's a very, very nice, very good book. Um, I also really, really liked um a book called uh, Candyland and Candyland uh, was written by Evan Hunter who also wrote under the name Ed McBain when he did the 87th Precinct series as Evan Hunter he wrote more serious uh, literary things and uh, as Ed McBain those were uh, tight police procedurals uh, big long series of books that were written in the 50s, 60s, 70s 80s up until he died Um, and uh, Candyland is written by both personas, uh, which makes it really interesting to me because the first half of the book is much more of a uh, personality study of the main character uh, and uh, to make a long story short, the main character winds up in a tough situation legally at the end of it. Uh, and then the second half of the book becomes a police procedural that is uh, investigates the crime he's supposedly uh, involved in and it makes for a really interesting reading experience. Uh, I have also really, really enjoyed all of the Lawrence Block books I've ever read. Uh, he uh, writes a lot of crime novels. Uh, and his best series, as far as I'm concerned, is the Matt Scudder stories. Matt Scudder is a uh, uh, private eye. And uh, the, the books taken as a whole are much better than any of the books by themselves so the whole series is just excellent. Uh those are those are just a few that that jumped to mind. Mhm.
1: Right, well, are we going back to those of you oh.
2: ran
4: Um well, virtually all
1: yeah, you know, Paul Edwards up here, who's read, you know, if it has if Paul hasn't read it, it probably isn't worth reading, has read just about, you know, anything you could imagine. Anyway, let's go, but Chanel, back to another Zoom call. And
5: next up is Jeanette Kutash.
1: We're going to take two from the Zoom room now. And after <laughs>
5: Jeanette will be
7: Herbie. If you had one piece of advice for a brand new person who had never read a talking book... Or a brand new person who was just becoming a narrator and you were to be their mentor. What advice would you give
2: those two people? As far as anybody reading uh, the books, uh, I would say uh, do what I did in terms of uh, recording them. I, I didn't have a choice, but uh, I'm assigned books as they come up. Down the pike. I mean, they, they come to me and I, people always ask me, do you get to choose which books you read? No, I don't. Um, but that being the case, I've been exposed to uh, so many different authors and so many different genres of uh, uh, things that I would never, ever have suggested or chosen to read on my own. But because it was handed to me, I did that I've fallen in love with. And uh, I think that's what I would recommend to anybody who is uh, consuming these books, uh, listening to them. Uh, go outside your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, if, if everything you read is a Western, try a detective story or try some nonfiction or uh, you know, any, anything. Uh, explore other genres. You won't necessarily love them all. I'm not saying that every time I was asked to read a book, uh, that I was unfamiliar with, that I did love it. There have been many uh, that I actually hated. Uh, it, I hope it doesn't come through in the reading. That's that's usually the challenge in those instances. But there are some books that I'm actively irritated with the whole time that I'm reading them. Uh, but that would be my suggestion. As far as uh, advice to anybody who wants to do this, uh, boy, that's really tough because it's really a question of circumstance for me. I happen to live in Louisville, Kentucky. I happen to know an announcer at my TV station who had been doing this for years. And it all just kind of fell together for me. Uh, and it isn't like so many other jobs that you can do it anywhere. Uh, at least if you're working on books for NLS, there's only a few houses in the, uh, in the country that does this. And you're not working away from home. Um, So it's kind of being in the right place at the right time. But if you do get that opportunity to do it, I'd say once again, it gets down to be flexible, uh, be willing to read outside your comfort zone. And that even includes I I, I, at the beginning of this uh, presentation here, I before I read my excerpt, I said that there's some language in here and I was given the go ahead to do it. And I'm happy with that. That's I like that because that's that's the way the book was written. I have no problem with reading uh, things that have profanity. I have no problem with reading uh, sexual descriptions if that's what's there. A lot of people are just too squeamish and can't do it. I understand that, but it's going to prevent them from being able to uh, do a wide variety of material. And I've also been, uh, uh, you know, in a position where I've had to do books on subject matter that I – completely diametrically disagree with uh political biographies will come up a lot of times autobiographies of people i have no use for in real life and i've had to actually be them in the book but uh, a willingness to do that and an ability to do it convincingly i say is a very uh important uh, factor
5: our next hand is herbie allen um so first of all uh, ray uh, great uh, reading of
8: the uh, book earlier um And great presentation this morning as well. I found it very captivating. I was uh, cooking while listening to you, and um, it made a boring job of cutting go that much easier. Um, I was very curious about, like you mentioned, that you've gotten a lot better over the years at needing to correct things. And so I'm just curious... Um, What did what helped you not to have as many corrections over the years? And also, do you ever listen to any of the books that you've recorded? And do you find that uh, you have a different opinion as opposed to your monitor on what type of things need to be corrected or done differently?
2: Okay, Um, let's go in reverse order. I very rarely... Uh, do listen to the books that I have recorded. I would like to on occasion, but, you know, actually, I'm not supplied with a recording of this, and it would be a kind of a complicated process to get it because of the method that that you, anything I could play because of the uh, the different formats that are used. Um, But as far as uh, uh, minimizing corrections over the years, that's just going to happen just like anything that you do Uh, over and over. You do something for 40 years, you get better at it. When I was first doing this, I was reading aloud the way most people would read aloud. And um, I wasn't paying as much attention as I should have in terms of uh, just perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect diction, but you realize that most of us speak lazily uh, in Informal situations when you're narrating. I I hope I don't sound like an academic trying to, uh, you know, deliver a precise uh, lecture. But at the same time, you really do have to pronounce all of the words correctly. Uh, It's just as basic as that. And uh, quite honestly, there were an awful lot of words 40 years ago that I didn't know how to pronounce. I thought I did, but I didn't. Uh, And I got called on those. Uh, Also, there were just things as simple as, did you just hear that? That was a breath between those two. Well, you know, that doesn't go. You have to, it has to be a clean read when you stop at the end of a sentence before you begin the next sentence. You don't get to take an audible breath just like that
9: hello my name is donna browning um i am curious so when you're doing stuff like this or anything else that involves recording or you have bloopers i'm really curious well if you could ever if you can remember your funniest mistake your funniest
2: blooper what it was like unfortunately i don't have a funny story um but I, i will say that um uh laughing uh, while reading can be a problem sometimes when you're doing really good comedy material uh i there are two books in in uh, particular that i remember they were hard literally hard to get through and i did not get nearly as much time recorded during a session on these books that i did on others simply because I would crack up in the middle of reading them. It was it was amazing. And even you know knowing what was coming, it didn't make any difference. I I couldn't get my my act back together for another five minutes. And I am kind of notorious for not reading material in advance when I record it. I that's kind of risky because uh, you can find you can find yourself in deep water and you don't know where you're going. But for the most part, I, I tend to be able to avoid that. And I like the immediacy of, uh, encountering the book the way you would, if you were reading it yourself, uh, if I know what's coming in advance, I'm going to give away too much emotionally, uh, as I narrate that shouldn't be given away. Good example would be, um, uh, a mysterious voice on the telephone in a detective novel where somebody calls and says something very important to the plot and hangs up, click, and you don't know who it is. It's just a mysterious voice. Well, if I know who that mysterious voice is, then I'm gonna give that away somehow. You know, it's just not quite the same as being in the position of the reader for the first time. So I kind of try to keep any mysterious voices be kind of sexless and uh You know, don't give away who anybody is that way. But anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, no funny stories, but that's it.
9: Well, Ray, first of all, I want to say thank you. I'm one of your biggest fans because you were one of my favorites growing up. And I do remember. Well, you're welcome. And I do remember Boy's Life. Uh, That was an I'm going to use a word that I use about books that I read now. Um, It was unputdownable. It was what? Unputdownable.
2: Unputdownable. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of was, wasn't it? And
9: and you uh, in in the uh, presentation, you uh, said somebody asked you about how long is a book. Well, uh, would you like to hear my answer to that? Sure. It's as short as a children's book, or as long as the Black Lizard Big Book of Pulps. (laughs) (laughs) Because that one was one of my favorites too.
2: Um, I. Thank you. thank you though thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for the positive review
9: one question is when you read that the big book of pulps did you have difficulty describing that comic
2: yes I mean. uh yeah. you read that okay that that was an, an interesting situation now, the comic being referred to this was uh otto Penzler's big book of pulps it was a collection of uh pulp short stories from the 20s and 30s, the old pulp magazines. And it was a lot of fun to read, Uh, you know, the dashing uh, heroes and the uh, nefarious villains and all of that business. But uh, one of those stories had appeared in the pulp magazine, and it wasn't in prose form. It was in comic form, comic strip form. So uh, my monitor and I basically had to come up with a way of describing the action in the panel, uh, each panel. So basically doing a, you know, we, we'd agree on what was an adequate description of what's going on in the panel. Then read the, uh, uh, I'd read the dialogue and the word balloons, and then we'd do it all over again for the next panel. So this was about a 15, 20 page story. And it was one of the more uh, labor intensive uh, uh, sections of a book
4: I've ever had to do. So I think we'll try and see if we have a question in the room. Mr. Ralph.
6: Hi, this is Andrea from California. Hi, Andrea. I loved Green Mile. I just, Uh, I think I've read the book four or five times. I saw the movie first. uh, And, but there was stuff in the book, of course, that wasn't in the movie, as there invariably is. You made it come alive, and it was a very intimate experience. I use that word because sitting in my room alone, listening to some of the scenes in that story. Um, you laugh, you cry,
3: mm-hmm.
6: you just I mean, and you did the voice of John Coffey so well. I mean, oh, my gosh, you. you really I mean, the actor who played him in the movie was amazing and he had no acting experience. I don't know if anybody knows oh, the story. He, he I really was good. Yes. I, I won't tell it, but he was Tom Hanks, driver. He didn't have any experience. He wasn't an actor. Um, amazing, amazing guy. And you just you just made that. And I'm not a huge Stephen King fan. But I just love that book. And I also really like the John Grisham stuff that you've done because I'm a big fan of his.
2: Uh, Well, what was the last one? The who?
6: John Grisham. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I love legal stuff.
2: That's been fun. Yeah, there's several series of legal thrillers that i have done. Dismas Hardy novels probably would be ones that are, uh, uh, well, most numerous, I would say.
5: Let's go to Lino Morales.
10: Yeah, good afternoon from North Carolina. This is Lino. It's hot and humid down here. But listening to you guys under the the ceiling fan, listening to your presentation, this is great. Uh, Mr. Fouché, it's an honor to speak to you for this little short moment in time, but I do want to tell you, I'm going to be brutally honest. I've only heard a couple of books you did, and I will tell you those books right now. You did a very damn good job. I believe it came out in 95, which I didn't know you won the score reward that year. Anyway, I just actually looked it up with the handy-dandy uh, Bart Express app for so those of you are all familiar with on the PC side. You read a book in, I believe it was written in 94, or 95, mm-hmm. uh, called Paramore. And no, we're not talking about the rock band, young people. Uh, Gerald Petovich, I think this is the guy's last name. I'm not going to give away the book, but that was a damn good spy book.
2: Well, who is the author?
10: Gerald Petovich, I think I said his name right. I'm not sure
2: ah uh, i'm uh, it's not it's not ringing a bell with me right now
10: wow but anyway you did a very fantastic job
2: Great and there's book.
10: another one and by the way folks like, listen that has been converted from uh analog tape to digital so it is there and finally the second book i re- uh that you uh narrated was simply called the love that kills by the author by the name of ronald levitsky unfortunately that's not popping up so Again, you did a very good job on those books. I've been a fan of the cold crop of APH narrators that have come around over the years, even the new generations like Aaron Jones. Uh, she does uh-huh. a great well, job. And but you're, you're, sir, you're. Uh, it's an honor to talk to you today, and I hope you have a uh, good rest well, of the hour. Thank you.
2: That's great, and I, I thank you for uh, calling in.
5: Our next hand is Jenna Cox. Great job with the reading. Um, my question is: Have you ever gotten? Together with other talking book narrators, just to have some social
2: time. Actually, I was uh, talking to somebody about an hour ago about this very thing. Um, I can't speak for everyone at the printing house, but uh, I don't have much social time with other narrators, and for the most part, I don't think most of us do. Uh, now, some people are friends outside the uh, uh, the printing house itself. Yeah, you know? uh, for instance, the the man who. Uh, got me into this job. He was an announcer at the same TV station I worked at. So we knew each other. And, uh, you know, a lot of people do know each other aside from the narration. But just there's not a real social bond between people just because they're narrating, simply because of the nature of the way we do the business. We do our our recording sessions. They're two-hour sessions. And uh, generally, most people won't do more than one in a given day. So it depends if it could be early morning, could be late morning, could be early afternoon, late afternoon. Uh, whenever it is, you go, you go to your studio, you you meet your monitor there and the two of you work together to record your session. And then you walk right back out of the building and go to your car and go home. Uh, so there's not a, it's not like the usual thing. Like I got to know everyone at my TV station. Because I was working 40 hour weeks there. And, you know, in an office environment, you meet everybody, you become friends and everybody's big buddies. But there are a lot of uh, narrators at the printing house that, quite honestly, I I don't know. There are a few I've never even laid eyes on. Uh, and there are others that I am good friends with. But those are people, like I say, that I know in other capacities other than just being fellow narrators.
8: Hello, Ray. I'm really enjoying your presentation. I enjoy your books. And I, I want to take this opportunity too to welcome you from the American Association of Blind Teachers, who's sponsoring this group too. Thank Anyhow, you. the question that I have is um And who are you? Carla? My name is I'm sorry, I'm Carla Hayes of McMurray, Pennsylvania. And I, I forgot, I forgot my name, sorry. Uh, uh. Yeah. Anyhow, the question I have is um, when when I was training when when we had oral interpretation and I was taking speech and broadcasting courses a long time ago, they had a series at the time, and I think they were reel to reel and cassette tapes of um, for oral interpretation to, that had exercises that you went through to learn how to do the various accents and things like that.
2: I did really. I mean, no, I,
8: they they somebody did. Oh, OK.
2: <laughs> so not you, because there's <laughs> a lot of things that I don't remember.
8: No, no, no. So my <laughs> question and a otherwise two, a two prong question, first of all, did the talking book narrators and people like that go through that type of training? And secondly, is there any modern equivalent of such training material that you might know of?
2: I am unaware of any such training. I, I certainly didn't go through any training for that. Everything I'm, I've done, uh, as far as uh, I don't know, any voice techniques, any any particular technique that makes the way I read the way I read, uh, that's just me. Uh, I was kind of allowed to go on and forge my own path. I don't know of any uh, kinds of exercises or anything. Uh, I don't. I know that. I'm pretty sure nobody at the, the American Printing House actually is involved in anything like that.
7: Um, good afternoon, everybody. This is Melissa Hudson from Berrien, Washington, a suburb of Seattle. And Ray, it is a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to hear you and to meet you. God bless you for being there um, and for what you're doing. What a wonderful thing. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and so my, my my comment, first of all, is that Oh my gosh! Um, Your voice sounds a lot like you could be one of those announcers that says, you know, "Big Red" or (laughs) "The Energizer Battery keeps going and going and going." Those kind of things. Um, That's what you kind of remind me of. I can do that.
2: I can. I can. can. (laughs) Smith's Furniture. That's who. That I've I've done my (laughs) share of commercials in my life.
7: Oh, wonderful! Well, you definitely have the voice. But my question um, to you is. Do you have any special um, like warm-up exercises that you do to warm your voice up every day before you read, or do you have just like a ritual that you do before you um, before you go on stage, so to speak? And again, thank you for being here. God bless you.
2: Oh, Thank you. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, I, there's nothing in particular uh, as far as any exercises or loosening up things I do, but. When I think about it, there are things I know not to do. Um, I have learned things over the years not to do. And one is that I would like to read uh, on a semi-empty stomach. Uh, You know those little stomach rumbles that, uh, you know, the ones, some of them are very small and you think, oh, nobody heard that. Well, these microphones, they hear that. They really do. And it can be really annoying if you've just eaten lunch and you go into the, uh, uh, well, it's either if you've just eaten is bad and if you haven't eaten for a long time is bad because your stomach will let you know that all the time. You'll either be digesting the food you just ate or it'll be telling you, give me some more food. And that that will actually become a big, big problem when you're reading on these sensitive microphones. And it can be a completely wasted session because your monitor is there for just such a reason. He's listening while you're recording, and if you mispronounce something, if you stumble, he stops you. But a lot of times, you don't even know you made the noise because it's in your stomach and you're reading. He heard it, though, so you stop, and then you realize... I shouldn't have had that bagel because we're going to stop 16 times in the next hour here. So don't do that. And, you know, you asked me about uh, warming up and I never really thought that I do warm up. But the truth is, I found that I don't uh, do very well unless I have had a drive to the station uh, to the the thing. And I sing it on the radio. That helps it, uh, especially in the morning. You know, you might have that morning phlegmy throat thing going on. And I, I I'm, most people are like me. They will sing along with the radio. And I think that helps a whole lot. Uh, so these aren't any technical uh, exercises I do, but I try to watch whether I've eaten or not and sing with the radio. That works.
5: Next, we have Steve Dresser.
11: Uh, hi, Ray. Dresser. Uh, I'm I'm okay. hi, Paul. I'm Steve Dresser from Reading, Massachusetts, and um, I have been a great fan of your books over the years, especially the Spencer uh, series, Robert B. Parker. Oh, those are fun. And one of the things I love about them, I mean, the series itself has so many different kinds of characters. I mean, you got everything from Spencer to Hawk to Vinnie Morris. To uh, Susan Silverman, and you just do them all so well. And um, for for me, you will always be the voice of Hawk for me. Always Hawk. Yeah, Hawk.
2: Hawk is one of my more out there voices, but I I I think
11: it's. I know, but you did it. And you know, when I first heard you. We're going to do that. I thought I'm not sure this is going to fly because he's not—he's not a black guy, you know. And I, I maybe this will work, maybe it won't. But boy, it worked well. Good. I'm glad you
2: thought so,
5: Phil. You may ask your question.
0: Thank you so much, and uh, Mr. Fouché, it certainly is just a just a privilege to speak with you, and I enjoyed your presentation this morning, and I am thoroughly enjoying this question and answer session now. The <clears throat> question I have is is a has there been any book that you've read that is
2: could you speak up a little bit I'm having a hard time hearing
0: certainly uh, has there been any particular book that you have read that has maybe had a special impact on you or affected you in a special way or touched your heart one that you just thought about so much as I wanted to
3: could uh, mm. read over and over that's interesting
2: um, I really i can't say in any other way other than maybe you know, from a literary standpoint i've just become aware of some people and and their their way of communicating that's been eye-opening to me i, I haven't had uh, any real uh, uh emotional epiphanies about any other p- particular subject because of my reading um and, and that has that makes sense basically because of the nature of most of what i read you know it's pretty formulaic uh uh it, let's just say it's not real thought-provoking literature, but just the um, uh, the the method of writing itself. That that's where my revelations have come from.
0: Uh, Ray, you. It's a pleasure to meet you again. You know, you came to visit us in Mississippi. The only two. Oh yes, you were there. Classmate. Yes. And so, my question to you now: when when you sit in your booth, and I'm sure there's a uh, mi- uh, window that you. Look and see your monitor, right? Correct. So when you make a mistake, what what does your monitor do? Does he wave? No.
2: Does well, he stop
0: the recording? We
2: we are in communication with headsets. Oh, okay. and so I'm wearing headsets. I hear myself read. Wow. All the okay. time. So I'm when I'm reading, and if he's not talking to me, I'm hearing myself. Okay. Um. And uh, but if he has to, if he has to stop me, it's easy. He flips a switch and says, "Hey, stop." You know. Okay. So so that that's the way that works.
1: You know, I have to tell you, the reason you're here is because when we said, who who could we ask as a narrator that hasn't been with us? Mr. Ralph Smitherman, who's just asked you the question, is the one who suggested your name.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Well, so. thank you, Mr. Smitherman.
12: Uh, this is Vanessa Lowry from Lutherville, Maryland, which is in Baltimore County. Um, I've enjoyed reading books that you've narrated for many years, including the Lou Bolt series. Lou
2: Bolt. Yes. Uh, yes, those were yes. good set up in Seattle.
12: Yep. 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 So you said that, you know, in general, you don't have control over the books that you're handed yet. Obviously you are assigned at times to a series. Does somebody make a decision? Ah, he really does well with that series. So let's try to stick with him if we can.
2: Well, it's, uh, you bring that up and you know, that makes me wonder sometimes too. Um, First of all, yes, if you do a book and there's part of a series, generally they'll try to get you to uh try to make sure the books go to me uh subsequently as they come in. But it doesn't always happen that way. That and we get our books from NLS. They also send books to other recording houses around the country. There aren't very many, but they get sometimes they'll stop sending Uh, books in the middle of a series, and they'll start sending those books to one of the other houses. So I will not be doing them from then on, if that's the case. Now, if they get to the printing house in Louisville, they will assign me the book to keep the series going. Lou Bolt is a good example of one. I just stopped getting the books, and nobody else at our place has been doing them, but somebody must have picked it up somewhere else. They were good, though.
12: Hi, Ray. This is Allison Fallon in Oklahoma. And I've always enjoyed your Spencer books. They are such fun. And I've I've um, downloaded some Spencer books, the Robert B. Parker, mm-hmm. or I forget who they're by now, but it's just not the same. They I, have I, good I, readers,
2: go right but ahead. they're
12: not just the same.
2: Uh, I, I would agree with you. I have not narrated any of the uh, it's Ace Atkins who writes the, uh, the Spencer books now since Robert B. Parker passed away. Uh, I read one of them and it was serviceable, but there was there's something about us about Robert B. Parker's uh, writing style It is sparse is uh, not a strong enough word to talk about his style. Uh, he deals in such uh, a terse dialogue. It's it's really about as simplistic as you can get, but it's great. Uh, it's hard to duplicate. And I don't think that the uh, the new guy is doing it as well.
8: Thank you. Uh, this is Ann from Michigan. And I just want to tell you how enjoyable it is just listening to your voice. And so my question is, Can you name at least two books in the genre of science fiction or a James Patterson book that you've read?
2: A James Paxton book?
3: Patterson. Patterson. Patterson.
2: Oh, a James Patterson book. Um, Boy, you know, I've I've done, I haven't done many Patterson books, but I have done a couple, but I can't remember any titles. That that may strike, you know, there are a lot of books when when you do this, uh, they just go past you in terms of, Later on, you forget about them. And you may not even forget the book itself, but the titles of books can often get lost because literally, you know, when you when you have a physical book and you pick it up every night and you read it, the book is laying there all the time. And if the title of it is uh, mud in your eye, uh, you see that 30 times a day, you pick it up and you read it, you hold it in your hand, you keep seeing it, you know, if anybody says what's the name of the book you're reading, you will say mud in your eye is the name of the book. But if it's one of the books I'm narrating, I will literally find out what the book is. And then I am reading the book from a computer screen. I'm not reading a physical book anymore. I'm reading from a computer screen. So I have recorded at the beginning saying, you know, this is side one of mud in your eye. But then I will not say that again for the rest of my life. And so I While I'm reading books these days, a lot of times, if they're not extremely memorable to me, I can finish a book yesterday and I couldn't tell you what the title of it was just because if it wasn't an outstanding thing that made me rethink, oh, i got to remember this book. I might forget what the title is, which seems strange, but that's what happened.
1: Ray, how long have you been actually reading books from the computer screen as opposed to holding the book in your hand? It's,
2: uh, that's relatively new. Uh, I started that, uh, I would say, it was right after we went back into the studio after the first COVID uh, rush Right after that. Uh went back in the studio and instead of that was when I finished a book I was doing, which was paperback copy that I had in my hands. And uh it it was probably the book after that that uh that started this.
1: Prerogative. Do you is it harder? How how is the experience reading from the computer screen?
2: I was leery of it, but it's it's perfectly great. It's easy. And uh there are a few things that it makes uh that, that Create improvement. One is which one of which is yeah. the uh, the dreaded page turn. Yeah. Uh, that's just a physical maneuver you have to be able to do and and keep you know keep your wow. concentration. But you have to do it quietly. Page turn noises were always uh, corrections we had to make. Now you don't have to do that. I have a little console in there that has a few buttons that uh, I can t- move the page back, flip it back on the on the screen, or I can go forward uh, and I can. Uh, run it back a little bit if I make a mistake and come up and cut in where I want to cut in to start recording again. It's much nicer. Uh, it's just better than the book. Although I'm just such a big fan of books themselves in my private life. Um, I, you, know, you should see my house. I mean, it's and my wife thinks I'm crazy uh, and she likes to read, but we've got books galore. So I'm, I am a physical book fan, but for purposes of what I do, I like reading off the computer screen right now.
5: Melena um, Vanderwall. Hello, I'm so super excited to get to talk to you
9: for a second. I tried emailing you. I tried emailing you um, this morning, and I must have typed your email address wrong because it bounced back. Oh. But I, I too am from Michigan, and um, I just wanted to tell you how great of a job I thought you did this morning, and I've thoroughly enjoyed your your talk and discussion with everybody this afternoon.
2: Well, thanks very much. Appreciate that.
12: Hi, this is uh, Donna Siren in St. Louis, and uh, first I want to say that you are one of my favorite narrators, (laughs) (laughs) and um, I I wanted to comment, you were talking earlier today about the commercially narrated books, which I don't care for as much as the other narrators that that I'm so used to, because I think they do a lot of sound effects and stuff that, you know, and music and all, but they leave out things. And you were talking about um, how you, you all insert, you know, information like book jacket information and all. But I've noticed, especially with Braille books, a lot of time authors put comments in there about the book and everything and maybe what led them to write it. And all this information gets left out mm-hmm. on the um, the uh, information that you know is inserted, and I'm just wondering why isn't this included?
2: Why isn't it included in the uh, uh, commercial audio?
12: Yeah, when you insert information like book jacket, you know, information, right, and right. then you know, a lot of times authors and they'll what they say is so beneficial. You know, and it just kind of helps you when you're reading the book and all this gets left out.
2: Well, I agree. I, I completely agree. I can't answer for the uh, companies that do the commercial uh, recordings. I, I think, yeah, quite honestly, this is going to sound snobbish, but I think the books that we do are for intellectually maybe superior people. And it's not the books themselves because they do the same books, but the way that the approach to it that we take, it, we're giving you all the information. And they're not, but at the same time, they're playing to their audience, and their audience, I think, is a little more—I uh, don't know—superficial. Uh, 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 you know, they're the kinds of people who who go to the movies and immediately get up before the credits are over. They they don't they don't care about credits. They don't care about anything. They they just they want to see things blow up for two hours and then you know leave. Uh, and and uh, they're not you know. Uh, the kind of material you're, you're talking about which kind of uh, enhances the experience they're not interested in enhancement they don't know what the word enhancement means anyway so uh i think that uh, that you're a smart person and they're not
12: i just looked at
8: the board listing and it only had 606 ray Fauchet books
2: 606 yeah, that that's but, but that's but that's, that's way low
8: but here's the deal I bet you a lot of the books were done on cassette and have not been converted. So that's
2: very possible. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm not calling anybody a liar. I know that's that that's probably that's probably the explanation. It, they've got 606 books available now, I suppose.
5: Let's go to Jana. That's how to pronounce your name. You may ask your question.
12: Ray, I love those Robert B. Parker books, and
6: I just think you do such a great job with that. My question is, during the pandemic, you say that you only have like four hours a day to record, to read, that for as much of you as I read, I read way more of you than four hours a day. I'm just wondering, is that really all the time that you get in one day of recording? Because that doesn't seem like much.
2: Well, okay. Uh, actually, it's only about two hours a day that I record. And in that two hours, I generally average between 90 and 100 minutes that will be that I'll actually get done. Because uh, the other rest of it is is basically stopping, starting mistakes, whatever you know, it take, You can't go straight through. So it's really that's the only amount. And it's not a question of I only get that much time. I can only do that much time. If you're doing this, two hours is plenty for a day. Uh, Sitting in one chair, not moving for two hours, and talking nonstop, it's amazing. It doesn't sound like it's physically difficult, but it actually is. I mean, I don't come home exhausted or anything, but as far as your voice is concerned, it really is a workout for it. I have done two sessions in a day. Uh, and there was a time there for a short period when that was my norm. But I couldn't do that. Uh and, and you know, now I couldn't. I would and I wouldn't want to. The the quality would suffer. Uh but and you're saying you listen to more of me than I do in a day. And I, yeah, that's true. But I've got a lot of backlog that you haven't heard yet. So we'll we'll <laughs> we'll we'll probably keep you uh supplied pretty well.
5: Next up is Linda Yax. Ray.
8: I just want to share with you that I love John Grisham books and I'm so glad that I got to listen to you do them. I'm also going to share with you that because my husband was in a nursing home for a while, I was able to share those John Grisham books with him and, and when he was no longer able to read. So thank you so much for what you've done for all of us. My
2: well, question thank for you. you. I is, appreciate that.
8: Excellent. My question for you is, do you do a lot of reading outside the studio or does the reading you do in the studio you know, give you enough reading?
2: No, I I I read a lot outside the studio. I uh I would say for every book I'm narrating, I probably for every two books I narrate, I'll, I'll read another book on my own at home, you know, and uh A lot of times it'll be the same kind of genre because I really like the kinds of books I (laughs) narrate. Uh, I'm a real fan of a uh, publisher that got started about 20 years ago called Hard Case Crime. Uh, uh, It's a paperback uh, publishing house. And uh, they specialize in the kinds of paperbacks that uh, were big on the racks back in the 50s and the 60s. They're, you know, real hard boiled detectives and all this. Uh, but some of them are reprints of uh, books from that era. Others are a yeah. lot of uh, uh, new material, but it's in that same kind of style. Uh, I've, I find those are real easy reads for me and they're fun to read in bed at night. Not, I get a kick out of those. And then there's just a whole lot of other things. I'm interested in a lot of uh, nonfiction topics, too. And uh, so I'll spend time on anything I'm interested in. Hi,
8: my name is Kay Love from Oklahoma. And you talked earlier this morning and this afternoon about books that you had a hard time getting through because they were so funny. But is there uh, any book or books that you've read that you had a hard time getting through because they were they really emotionally saddened you?
2: No, not really. Um, And maybe it's, uh, it may may not say great things about my psyche, but I I like troubling books. You know, I I, I have a, I really enjoy narrating really messed up characters. There's a lot of uh, stuff I've done that uh, a lot of people I think might have been uh, traumatized by but uh, I eat that stuff up <laughs> I really do. because it's it's an opportunity to kind of uh, experience a little I don't know it probably does move something in my psyche that uh, isn't going to be uh, moved in normal life which is a good thing so but uh, oh sick psychotic characters I really they're fun they're, they're really fun he just kind of cut loose. There's a book. Let me, I, I, I it's a good example. Uh, I'm not going to describe it, but I, if you're into that kind of thing, uh, I did a book a long time ago, and the title was Mercy, and the the author was David Lindsay, and uh, main character is a psycho, uh, psych, uh a psychoanalyst. And also psycho. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's a lot of really, really strange, sick stuff in that book. And uh, I just had such a good time doing that book. It was fun. <laughs> but maybe I've said too much. Great.
10: I just want to tell you I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, PA. And you read. A series called the Badge of Honor series by W.E.B. Griffin, which is
7: awesome.
2: The what now What series the is this? Badge of Honor series. I, I, repeat, I'm sorry. Badge of Honor. Oh, Badge of Honor series. Oh, yeah, okay, sure. When you read that series, I had a
10: feeling like this guy is reading this series like he lived here himself, you know?
2: Right, it's set in Philadelphia, right?
1: Right. Mhm. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Tony, I'm sorry. We're going to have to move
0: on.
2: Oh, no problem. Okay. okay thank but anyway, you. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Tony. Thank you.
0: Um one more from the room. This is Adam Rushful, and uh I am from Louisville and All right. Hearing your uh story about your career, I thought you were being a little modest. Uh were when uh the TV station came on. Weren't you one of the first announcers uh, on the station?
2: WDRB. Yes. Uh, no, not when it began. Uh, the station signed on the air in uh, 1971. Yeah. And I was in college then. Uh, but uh, no. it was uh, I, I didn't I, I didn't do any television work until uh, 1980. Yeah. Uh, I think I,
0: the station was uh, mostly old time. Television show. Yeah, it
2: was time. a typical independent and, station at and the time. I remember
0: you being on there and uh doing a lot of announcements for the shows and schedules and sure. Uh plus advertisements. And I've always <laughs> associated your name, even though I do remember Jerry Ford Ice and others, but I always associated your name with uh channel forty-one wdr Yeah, and, well that uh, you you did a lot of announcing there as well as Course you're talking about Greek. Thank didn't. you very much. I've you heard a nice.
2: lot of my Smith's Furniture commercials too. Yes. Right. Smith's Furniture that too. <laughs> I haven't done that in years. All right. One more from Zoom, please. Ray, thank you for all of this. And uh
12: I just wanted to say I love what you've read, John Grisham and the rest. Um and I have to agree with you because I have two friends who read the bibliographies and things at the end, and they definitely are not in recorded books uh, from Audible or anywhere else. So thank uh, you that NLS and APH, they still do that. So appreciate right. it.
2: And, and, and just to do truth in advertising, uh, we don't read everything, but I think you'd be happy with what we leave out. Uh, we leave out some of the most esoteric nonsense that's will be in the back of a book you know, um, so I, I I fully approve of what we do leave out and it's not much. And it's, most books there's nothing left out at all.
8: Hi, thank you. This is Cheryl Cummings from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, And I'm wondering, as you're reading, do you have a sense of how sort of representation of women or people of color, um, how those have changed over the years?
2: That is a great question. Um, And that's probably, if there's anything I ever worry about in my narration, it's that, uh, that I don't want to descend into uh, uh, white-based stereotypes and and caricature. Uh, But yet I want to Distinguished characters. Uh, what I try to go with. Lucky. Here's 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 what makes things lucky for me. Uh, it could be very caricaturish to make a black character in a crime novel, a uh, deep voice guy who's you know tough and all. However, what makes things easy for me is that the author does that instead you know the author will give me cues as far as you know uh what the tone of of someone's demeanor is and so i'll go from there but i'll tell you i think i've been guilty uh in for a long time of over caricaturing people anyway uh, and what I've come to realize is that uh, you don't need to do that. And and you find that out if, if you just watch television these days, because it didn't used to have anything but white people on TV. Take this one. Real quickly, I want to I want to say that I think that uh, I do a better job of it these days than I ever did before, because I don't differentiate uh, because of race or, or uh, ethnicity as much as I used to and I think that's good and I think it's more accurately portrayed in, in other media which makes it easier to do uh, that's it but it's it, it's an issue that I have to face every time
4: All on right. behalf oh. of library users I'd like to thank Ray Foucher for spending some time with us uh, we, have, we have truly appreciated on behalf of BRL and Lua and a host of other organizations that are part of sponsoring uh, this presentation, the time that you've given us. Um, for the sake of a full disclosure, I have never read an Ed McBain book.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> never read one.